0: And welcome to episode four of the Selvage podcast. I'm Polly Leonard, the founder and editor of Selvage magazine. Our podcast explores the fabric of your life. That's the connection between cloth culture and creativity. In this series, I'll be interviewing artists, designers, NGOs, cooperatives, collectors, and just about anyone who wears clothes to find sustainable textiles that celebrate cultural identity, diversity, and the heritage of humanity. In this episode, we find out why red is the hottest color. We uncover the roots of ancient colorants and discover why today's designers are taking advantage of their inherent qualities. We talked to a Zapotec weaver from Mexico about cochineal.
1: It takes about 14,000 to 15,000 insects to make one kilo.
0: A Dutch design duo who are
2: finding new ways with natural dyes. What it becomes in the end, all the different aspects play a role and we embrace them
0: and an Ajrak
2: printer who reminds us
3: of the long history of Mada in the Khatri community in Gujarat. So we used four blocks, one design, 35 to 40 days to make one wooden block. Red is a colour with a distinct
0: history. Throughout the centuries, it was favoured for its chromatic appeal and for its predominance over other colours. For millennia, wearing red clothes expressed the legitimisation of social status, political authority, religious ranks and cultural identity. Since ancient time, human beings have tried to find dye stuffs that could reproduce the powerful tint of blood, fire and flowers. However, it's not always pretty. Ingredients include rancid castor oil, sheep's dung, bullocks, blood and urine. We'll return to that later. The earliest existing example of dyed thread was found in Turkey and dates back to the 6th millennium. It is no surprise to learn that it is red. Talking to me from Oaxaca in Mexico is Porfirio Gutierrez, a Zapotec weaver. Hello Pofirio, and welcome to the Selvage podcast. Today we're talking about red, which inevitably leads us to cochineal or carmine as it's also known. Porfirio, can you tell me how many insects you would need to produce a kilo of dye and do you forage for them in the wild or farm them?
1: It takes about 14,000 to 15,000 insects to make one kilo. And it takes about 1,000 to 1,200 prickly pear leaves to produce that amount. The cochineal insects that we use for our dyes are actually farmed. Um, One of the stories that I hear from my mother is to send out my elder brother, who is 54 years old now, uh, to collect some of these insects in the wild At that time, we're talking about 45 years, at that time, the insect and the use of insect in our community was nearly, or was not in use anymore, other than very few families that are still using it, and my parents was one of them. But historically, and even today, the insect that it's being used for the dye stuff are farmed.
0: Can you describe the natural history of Oaxaca and the local plants your family use to produce dye.
1: Oaxaca, it's in the country of Mexico. It is about 200 miles southeast of Mexico City. We are in a region called the Central Valley. And in our family studio, we use pericón for the yellows. We use zapote negro, which is a fruit. I believe it's in the persimmon family, pomegranate husk. I use marush, which is a Zapotec word for the olive greens, trimas for golds and beige colors. And most of these are grown out in the wilds, as well as uh, fruits are grown in our gardens, in the neighbor's garden. The indigo or anil uh, being produced by farmers in the Isthmus region of Oaxaca, and of course the cochineal insect which are also formed.
0: We're talking about mass production on a minute scale. Would you describe the life cycle of a Dactylopius coccus, the cochineal beetle? How and when are they harvested?
1: So it takes about three to four months for them to, uh, to, to mature. Uh, once they are um, infested in the new prickly pear leaves, they sink their mouth in the leaves and they'll, they won't move from there. So they will grow from there on into either three months or four months. We believe that the colder climate slows their growth and once they um, their harvest, they are set out to dry. So you could get between two or maybe three harvests a year.
0: So, after you've ground the insects into a fine powder, can you tell us about the mordits you use to achieve the different reds we recognise in everything from the pop socks and Venetian velvet to red velvet cupcakes.
1: The mordants that are used, uh, that I use in the studio, are the alum. The additives will be uh, lemon juice, but also the lemon juice could help with grabbing or um, acting as mordant as well. But the, the specific use of the acid in this case is as an additive to change the pH.
0: So, what color do you get if you use an alum with the cochineal? And what shade do you get if you use
1: lemon juice? The alum is act as mordant uh, solely and you begin to create reds but the the, um, the colors are actually start to be more of a, um, a pink color not so much of a deep reds what helps is to change the pH and so they can begin to turn more of a red and orange red color but also it's an over dye that happens to achieve specific reds that we're looking for, which is overdyed with yellow as well. So, and as we speak about natural dye, it is absolutely complex. And there's a lot lot of alchemy. There's a lot of uh, chemistry involved in to create one color. So we don't specifically use alum just to create one specific color. Instead, we use alum and focusing on the mordanting. From there on, then the process to create a specific color that we're looking for starts from there.
0: Red has symbolic significance in many cultures. Would you describe the ritualistic use of red in Oaxaca?
1: There is ceremonial procession that happens three to four times a year, depending on the dates on celebration-specific saints. Where women wears an enredo, it is a wrap, a skirt, so to speak, that it is done uh, with red colors. Um, it is done uh, with a specific um, mind or specific uh, intention for this ceremonial procession for women to wear with their um, embroidery blouse and a headdress depicted in a sink in, in a basket with flowers. So these are some of the processes or these are some of the things that it's, the red It's still used today within our community.
0: Thank you, Porfirio. You're listening to the Selvage podcast with me, Polly Lennart. Mexico is also home to the logwood tree, but Hemtexilum campechianum prefers the humid conditions found in the Yucatan Peninsula. The wood was once used as a pH indicator. Brownish when neutral, it becomes yellowish-red under acidic conditions, and a beautiful red-purple when alkaline. The pigment can be problematic, however. It doesn't adhere well to fibre without the assistance of a chemical mordant. Bureau Belen have found a unique solution to this problem. Lenneke Lengenhusen and Brecht Doof's work was featured in Selvage, Issue 78. The Dutch duo began working together as students at the famed Eindhoven Academy, they imagine design solutions using material as a starting point for their innovations. Hello Brecht and welcome to the Selvage podcast. You have worked with Miao's shiny indigo and a contemporary version of tapa cloth that's indigenous to Tonga, as well as with natural dyes. Can you start by
2: describing the decolour chart from your Living Colours project? The Living Colors project was an attempt to use natural pigments in the industry. Uh, Natural pigments do get another color over time, and instead of trying to control this we thought let's uh, embrace this fact and let's create a color chart where we show how colors change over time so designers and other users of the color could see how what they can expect of the color in time yeah so th- this was for us the, the the starting point of this project to really collaborate with natural colors
0: we are discussing red dyes today and i'm keen to learn about your another throw project that you dye with logwood Can you tell me a bit
2: about the project's origin? We started to use natural dyes in industrial dyeing systems. And in the dyeing bath, we used cones to to dye. And yeah, with natural dyes, we cannot really make them equal in color. Actually, the result was really nice because it was very unequal. By uh, weaving it out, we got a kind of e-cut effect so actually one cone became one side of a blanket and the size of the cone and the size of the width of the blanket was kind of the 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 magic that happened so different graphical effects appear another very nice thing is that the very dark blue which is the most saturated result of logwood is existing out of many other colors. so uh, because the dye comes so close to temperature, uh, the time, yeah, we- weaving it out, this very unequally dyed cone, like all, all colors appear, so light lila, sky blue, even light yellow, brine, brownish tones, yeah, all the colors that uh, together uh, form dark blue. Many of our listeners
0: practice natural dyeing and are familiar with the elaborate and involved procedure of winding and unwinding hanks needed to achieve a consistent colour. Even with care and attention to every detail at every stage, consistency is elusive when dyeing with natural dye. There are just too many variables that affect the colour. You have flipped this problem on its head and instead of working to find a solution, to the inherent inconsistency. You have embraced this flaw and use it as a distinctive feature of the design. Can you describe the dyeing process the
2: yarn goes through before being woven into one of your throws? So the merino wool is around a cone and also the tension in which this happens is important. So if it's too tight, then the effect is, is too minimal. If it's too open, Then it becomes almost all colored. So it's really in the middle with getting the yarn with the right tension on the cone. And then, uh, of course, the, the size of the cone relates to the size of the blanket. And then it's in the bath, but depending on where, which cone is where in the bath also has another effect and we never can say if the cones that are more outside are maybe becoming more brownish or if it's the middle one it's really difficult but that's also the reason why we choose to actually create this open process the, the only goal we have is that we get extreme dyed cones because this creates a big variety in what the blankets look like and also create this This very nice E-cut effect.
0: Each throw is unique. How is this achieved in an industrial production process?
2: Actually, this is really the collaboration with the natural pigments. Because if you would do this, the same process with uh, synthetic dye, then it will become more equally. And because we we also shorten the the process a little bit, so that's, that's also good to save it yeah to to save time um we use less water um we also don't you um, uh, don't clean the bath because it's it's all yeah it, it's all, all the, the 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 game of what it becomes in the end all the different aspects play a role and we embrace them what are the benefits for the environment of using this dye method Of course, the water that is left is cleaner than when you use toxic dyes, synthetic dyes, and because the synthetic dyes, they are used so much and they play such a huge role, the water quality. We we try to find ways to use natural dyes in bigger amounts instead of synthetic dyes. Finally, I wonder if you can briefly
0: mention the Blurred or Blue-Red Blanket project in which you also use natural
2: dyes. Natural dyes, because they come from different origins, they all have different characteristics. With synthetic dyes they they react the same on um, on, on, on fabrics, but we made, made use of uh, viscose and silk velvet so the the backing of the viscose of the velvet and silk and the hairs are viscose indigo is attracted to the viscose and rubia is attracted to the silk so you create this natural color um, yeah this color shift so it's it's making use of the different chemical reactions of natural dyes, and you cannot do this with synthetic dyes. And this is done in collaboration with Tinctoria.nl. Alizarin, the dye from the madder
0: plant Rubia tinctorum, gives a vibrant red color that withstands both repeated washing and strong sunlight. The process of achieving the bright turkey red. Is arduous and involves a gruesome concoction of rancid castor oil, sheep's dung, bullock's blood and urine. This technology arrived in Scotland via Turkey in the 18th century when the Vale of Leven became the epicentre for the production of brightly printed fabrics that flooded the North American market for 200 years before the United Turkey Red Company eventually closed in 1960. This technology originated in the Indus Valley where a maroon red is seen in elaborate Ajrak. Produced by the 10th generation block printers of the Khatri family in Gujarat, India. Ajrak block printed fabric is distinguished by its colour, primarily madder and indigo, and its intricate geometric patterns. We catch up with Sufyan Ismail Katri in Ajrakpur village. Hello and welcome to the Salvage podcast. Sufyan, your family have been block printers and dyers for 10 generations. As well as in Gujarat, India, Ajrak is also found in Sindh, Pakistan. I understand that natural dyeing died out in the 1950s and it was not until students from the National Institute of Design began visiting in the 1970s and showing an interest in the traditional methods that you began using natural dyes again.
3: What did these designers bring to the mix? So uh, when my grandfather started in 1970, we have the knowledge of only our local knowledge. We don't have any fashion knowledge. The two designers from NID, they came to Kutch, and they are giving us the new designs like contemporary design. So with traditional designs and contemporary designs, we are mixing and we present in the market. And uh, they are helping us also to new products like saris and tablecloth and uh, curtains. Ashrak patterns use complex geometry
0: to create starry constellations in madder and indigo that pepper a cloth that was traditionally worn only by Muslim men. Can you tell me something
3: about the origins of the geometric patterns? Those designs actually we don't know much about uh, this in long time ago. Since we use these same designs, four hundred years continue we use this same colour combination. Ashrak
0: is a time honored emblem of the local communities in Kutch. Nomadic pastoral and agricultural communities like the Rabaris where Ashrak printed cloth as turbans and lungis. They were given as gifts for the Muslim festival of Eid as well as to bridegrooms. In previous generations the block printers had a close connection to their local customers. Now with the introduction of more affordable synthetic fabrics these community links have broken. As a result many traditional forms of dress have died out and the printers now create fabric for national and international buyers in a highly competitive marketplace. How has this change in the market affected the patterns we see
3: in your work today? Now, totally changed the market and all people want contemporary designs and new colour combination. want.
0: Ajrak printing is a highly complicated process where the engineering prowess of the block carvers is critical. I believe your blocks are carved in Petapur village. Can you tell me something about the wooden blocks you use in the printing process?
3: Create one address designs need 24 blocks, and the design is six designs. We use the thick wood, and first we put on the clay, and then we uh, we have the compass. So we create the design by compass, and uh, then we carving by hand. So we have three tools we use for the carving. So we use four blocks, one design. It should take like 35 to 40 days to make one set of the wooden block. What I find
0: curious is that you don't actually print with the dye, but use a series of mordants and resists to manage the 16 stage sequence that results in the richly patterned, colour fast, double sided cloth. I'm particularly interested to learn where madder fits into the sequence. Can you describe the method?
3: we use alkaline and acidic methods to make traditional ajrak so alkaline and acidic we go this two ways so first we use the white cloth for the removing starch process we use the camel dung soda ash and castor oil and then soak overnight second day we washing in the water. Second process, we use the myroballon dyeing. We dye it with myroballon powder and then dry in the sun. Our third process, we use the resist printing. We use the lime and acacia tree gum for white outline. Then second filling blocks, we using fermenting rust iron and then printing. And then third print, we use clay with alum. Alum we call aluminum acetate. So we applying the alum modern. So alum modern is the very important to get the red color. After this three printing, we dyeing in the indigo and then dry in the sun. Indigo comes from the plant, and uh, we fermenting indigo by ourselves, like uh, we use the dead juice and cassia tora seed powder and lime water, fermenting natural indigo, and then we dyeing in the cloth and then dry in the sun. Then it goes to the washing area. When we wash the cloth, so extra clay, lime. After the washing, when we boiling with madder roots, we add the uh, madder powder and water, and slowly, slowly we heating. It takes uh, one, one hour to boil, and uh, we get the red colors from the alum parley.
0: To find out more about Ashrac, see issue 97 of Selvage, an issue dedicated to the color red. Thank you again to our avant-garde designers and artisans, Soufiane, Pofirio and Brecht, who offer examples of sustainable textile production. So if you want to look red hot, look out for cochineal, madder, and logwood. Thank you again to all our guests and to you for listening to the Selvage podcast with me, Polly Leonard. To learn more about our guests and Selvage magazine, head over to the Selvage website and don't forget to subscribe. Be the first to find out about our next episode when we stop, smell the roses and take a closer look at
3: floral patterns.